This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Misa. Hi, I'm Evan. Hi, I'm Will. We're going to talk about The Rolling Stones, a 1952 science fiction novel by Robert A. Heinlein. Uh, first published as Tramp Spaceship. Um, or maybe not first published. It says October, November, December in Boy's Life, which was the Boy Scouts magazine. Yeah, condensed and version some, published in Boy's Life. Yeah, and there's some Boy Scout mention in the book, but I don't think they're actually Boy Scouts. Um, uh, with the previous book, we uh, previous line line book we did, wasn't that all Boy Scouts? That Farmer was all Scouts. Boy Farmer Scouts. the Sky, that was, yeah. Boy was... Scouts all the way up and down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I guess I guess he wrote a few, uh, Mag, uh, Between Planets was in, I, I think that was in Boy's Life too, but I don't think it was first serialized there. And then um, I read this uh, under the title Space Family Stone. Um I distinctly remember buying the book and reading the book because I was on a trip to um, London. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say the moon. Uh, well, I mean, any kind of travels is conducive to reading, I find. But I uh, I was at Victoria train station in London, and they had a bookshop in there. And have science fiction magazines uh, science fiction books over in the UK I don't know if you guys know this but their uh, their publisher is different and so the covers are different and I believe it was New English Library and I was like here's a highlight I've never read and it was it turned out that I, ha- I don't think I had read it um, but it's better known as the Rolling Stones I'm not sure why they changed the title other than probably because of the band Right. If you type in the Rolling Stones, Heinlein's not going to come up first. Mm-hmm. Who here had read this before? Besides me, back in 1990. Nope. Or 91. Nobody? Will? No. Wow. No, I haven't read a lot of his juveniles. Or rather, the only juvenile I've read is the one that we did for the podcast, Between Planets. So, based on... These two, you'll never read any ever again because he's turgid, right? So turgid. <laughs> or at least corny. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, I almost cried. When, 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 Grandma when, Hazel's, Grandma, when she almost died. Well, when what? she's, yeah, she's saying, you know, go to, go. Uh, I need you to keep calling, honey. I'm like, why are my eyes going like this? Why is my throat constricting? <laughs> why can't I breathe? Me too. Well, sure. There, there's like some good sentiment in there, but I like, like I knew enough about. Here's why I knew that Grandma Hazel was going to be okay. One, this book is really corny. Uh, mm. Two, um, like I think there's a parallel between what's going on there and the the scene earlier where, um, what's the like Captain Sterling or like the fictional character that they're always writing? Um, <laughs> oh uh, right, he came he's back. Like, Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, he's down at the bottom of the like toxic lake in Jupiter Mm. and he's trapped in the thing and there's like no way he could possibly get out. I was like, yeah, she's going to get out. It's fine. 
And of course she does the Houdini trick and she's like, I'm totally fine. And I'm going to live to be 160. Right. Yeah. And then the twins sort of needed their moment because they've, they weren't that successful up to that point. So they, they, that's you know, kind, kind of fumbling a little bit, which is, it's good for kids, you know, to, to do that. To Save their grandmother's kind of lives. No, to have the failures and their, and their uh, younger brother's character. Right. And then, I mean, I think the, the 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 twins needed a moment like that. Otherwise, they're kind of just they would have been through. assholes. <laughs> I mean, they don't have their big success. Oh, right? Ferengi. Yeah, but they're I mean, just businessmen. She, she was gonna live, but but it was still a good moment, though. I mean, if I this, if this... didn't remember if she was gonna live. I was at that moment. I was like. Do I remember the original ending? I don't remember. I bet she's going to live, but I can't be guaranteed because Heinlein does kill off female characters. Um, he killed off Podcane of Mars in the original version of Podcane of Mars. And then the publisher said, hey, uh, that's too, uh, too terrible. You need to rewrite the ending. And so he did. But... Oh. He will kill off characters. And, you know, the thing is, it's Hazel, Hazel Stone. Um, she's in Moon is Harsh Mistress. I don't know if you remember that, uh, Evan. She's, uh, uh, she actually mentions some yeah, of the stuff. Well, I, I don't remember the mention. I When I was looking up this book, I, I, I saw that. that yeah. this, this is in the same universe. It, yeah, everything's connected in. Mistress. She was, like, honored as one of the founding Fathers, which established here is that she was one of the founders of mm-hmm. the and he hadn't written that book right so he's uh he's laying foundations for stuff and then going back and using that material uh in his later books and you can see like there's the martians Einlein's book mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, i was i was interested in the martians here um notice they had they're supposed to have three legs uh-huh um oh, no legs how many eyes does a flat can't have three we would assume right but it doesn't say in the book i was pretty careful to didn't it say three somewhere yeah it does does it It say three yeah it does well i know there's a picture of uh sometimes artists have give them three eyes because i I thought i read it I remember I reading it. that they did, but I also was listening for it, and I don't think it's there. It mentioned they have eyes plural, which is good. <laughs> I, I think it says that they have three eyes. Mm-hmm. Me too. Because I and I didn't see any illustrations, so I didn't get that idea from somewhere okay. else. Maybe you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have. Uh, they certainly have three. Uh, the I was going to say adults, but that's not exactly what they're. The other uh, Martian fauna have uh, three legs. We're told, and Lowell gets to see one, um, and but, speak with it telepathically. <laughs> but um, we don't actually get to see much of them uh, until, um, and even then, in Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, we don't get to see much of them. They're also in Red Planet, which is uh, another great juvenile by Heinlein, set on the same Mars. Um, Evan, you you want the flat cats, and you, you were saying you really enjoyed this book. Uh, you were breaking protocol, or something like that. Oh, I I just 
I, I mean, I, I found it was interesting because it, uh, it seems like such a like 50s traditional kind of story of entrepreneurship. At least that's how it kind of sets itself up to be. But mm-hmm. I think it's really, really radical, and especially it's gender politics, mm-hmm. which I enjoy. And it's really setting up what he does in Moon is a Harsh, Harsh Mistress with the... So when you say centrality of women to families and to that whole society. So uh, you're talking Hazel Stone being. uh, Yeah, Hazel Hazel being the most significant member of the family and the the doctor is not that far behind. And then how just assertive in those characters are. They they really are the. The leaders of the family, it seems. It's interesting. I was thinking much more so than uh, the father. Who gets the least screen time? And I was thinking, well, the the mom just says yes to a lot. And then she goes off and does medical stuff, and we don't see that. So uh, in some ways, I think people could argue that uh, the woman head of the household, in a certain sense, you know, um, she's important for the world, but she's not important for the book. But I was thinking, you know, also... This isn't act. It doesn't actually star the twins. They're not the main characters. They're just the opening scene, right? Um, Mead doesn't get very much attention. No, she doesn't. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I thought. I'd... And Lowell doesn't get that much attention either. But the father doesn't get that much attention. It's quite evenly spread. I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty democratic family. family, a, family actually. Yeah, it is. And Which is I, I thought surprising. in terms of its, its the politics of the family, I, that's what really impressed me about this this novel. It's, it did seem decisions were made pretty collectively, even though it had this authoritarian kind of mm-hmm. veneer with the oh we're on a ship and you have to follow orders, but that's mm-hmm. not really how things worked in practice. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and even its entrepreneurial side, I mean, it's not like this is like traditional capitalist economic exploitation. They're just trying to make a buck selling bikes or, you know, <laughs> they're constantly getting frustrated along the way. Mm-hmm. Do they ever make any real money in this, on this? Except Hazel's the one making the money for the family, it seems, selling the scripts. Yeah, I think she well, see, is. The never really successful. The friends they made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I have a question for you, though, Evan. Like, when uh, Boys Life magazine is, like, presenting the free enterprise system as, like, a great thing, do you think they present yeah. it as, like, you know, this is how it's sold, right? This, yeah, this yeah. Is how it's sold. There's a great book called, uh, was it? Uh, it might just be Selling Free Enterprise or something. I forget the I forget the, the actual name of it. And it deals with this how in the 50s there was this kind of cultural push, uh, as well as the union busting that really begins in the 1950s. Um, Created in the corporate soul. That's another book that kind of gets into this this how corporations rebranded themselves in the 40s and 50s and the aftermath of the Great Depression. So I understand there's that ideology behind it. He's not he's not yeah, anti-capitalist in the story. There's a there's a, a, there's a number of themes that um, I was thinking that are similar to Between Planets. So one of the things that happens that's very similar is somebody gets sick in the family. Remember Lowell um, gets space sick, they think. Um, and they have to, you know, maybe they're going to have to go back to Earth, like as in Jupiter, right? Uh, sorry, um, the moon of Jupiter, Ganymede. 
um, his family there has to go. Uh, they're considering returning to Earth and becoming Earth Earth plows or groundhogs or whatever they're called <laughs> again because one of the kids uh, uh, it was the adopted sister or not adopted the stepsister was unable to adapt to the lower pressure atmosphere. So there's that. That's a similar theme. But there's also the theme of the government being inefficient and governments, or lack thereof, being hyper-efficient. So there's the government... So are you talking about Farmer in the Sky? I'm talking about Farmer in the Sky, but I'm also talking about this book. In both books, somebody in the family gets sick, and the family has to make a decision. Are we going to, you know, turn around and, you know, for the good of the family, for the you know, to keep the family together, we're going to have to cut short this expedition or this vacation or whatever. But then there's the regulation. You get into, um, uh, you know, when they get into trouble on Mars, the new colony, and they have a a trade deficit (laughs) and there's there's taxes and all that stuff. So there's lots of stuff swirling around in here. But mostly it's it's about family. So, you know, the fact that the kids are entrepreneurial and want to get some money so they can buy some comics <laughs> or whatever the equivalent thereof is in this book. I, I think they just want money to, like, make more money. They don't seem like they want stuff. They, like, just, like, like their hobby is, like, the free enterprise system. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I see. I mean, uh, w- before the novel starts, uh, they're rich. Because they invented a frost-free rebreather or something, and that that money's in trust because they're geniuses, <laughs> right? I mean, the thing is, is this is nice uh, when you're reading this as a kid. You you read the story about a genius, and you say, "That's me!" <laughs> Yay! I see myself in this book, right? Um, you know, the, a genius with a functional family, and yeah, like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know the grandma's, she's uh, fun, and the dad's stern, but actually it's all an act. And the mom's competent, and she's a very yes dear. But actually, she gets away by saying yes dear, right? So it's it's like fake, um, very 1950s. But also, I mean, they're hanging out and doing, you know, hunting for uranium. It's weird. It's awesome. I love this book. This is really fun. I, I yeah, thought it was very fun too. I thought it was very much like um, a sitcom. It like I've I've never ha- this is the most sitcommy book <laughs> that we've read from my perspective. Mm. Mm. Um, it, it's not it's not uh, full of jokes exactly, but it's definitely it's very cute. quippy and dialoguey and back and forth and it's like I, that's why that. the grandma wasn't going to die. They don't really kill people off in sitcoms too much. Like mm-hmm. it, it had mm-hmm. that feeling of it to it. Except for Roseanne for daring to like Trump or whatever. <laughs> well, <laughs> She's dead now. We're changing the name of the show. Those are, those are well, she never this existed. Like I think days, she referred happy days to days era sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, I think that what Roseanne did was refer to a black person as a monkey or something like yeah. that. There was a uh it was a Planet of the Apes reference. Um but you know, that was the last straw because she liked Trump prior, prior to that. But, you know, what's funny is they had in the reboot for that show, not that I watched it, 
Um, it, it's pretty the, good. I really like the reboot, actually. The Con- the, it's now called The Connors, right? Yeah. In the, in the reboot for that show, they brought Dan Connor back to life. He had died in the, in the last episode <laughs> of the original series, um, <laughs> which is pretty funny. And now Roseanne's dead, even though she's not dead. <laughs> in real life, she's alive. But in, in the fictional world of the Connors, she's dead. So maybe... You know, when they reboot this series in another 35 years, <laughs> they'll bring her back to life and somebody else will be fictionally dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is- but uh, I, I agree with uh, I think I agree with Mice's like take that it's like a sitcom. I want to I want to just throw something out really spicy just to like to stir the pot a little bit, because I feel like this is not a very like this like book doesn't like inspire like pot stirring, but um. I want to like argue that it's like that it's like not very good science fiction. Um, and the reason why it's not very good science fiction is it has like it has a lot of like little things. Like it's just like it's just like constant propaganda that three things are amazing. One is math. Two mm. is free enterprise. Three is the family. Like it's like math, free enterprise, and the family are all just like great things that you just you really need to like get that in your head. But, like, there's not, like, a... And there's, like, this, like, propaganda war against, like, another kind of science fiction going on where they're kind of making fun of the sort of Flash Gordon, like, uh, planetary adventure sort of science fiction in the background with, like, the mm-hmm. the the serial that's being written. Like, that it's being fun. written. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, they do a very good job at that. But there's no big think here. It's just, like, it's just kind of, like, a steady kind of, like... It's, this would be a good TV show, I think. I think Mice is hitting on something, but as like, there's not a a moment in this where you're like, oh, what a what a concept you have, Robert Heinlein. It's just like here's things you've kind of seen in other ways, um, put out there. Although, you know, I guess you get trouble with tribbles, except in, for the tribbles. Yeah. yeah, you get trouble <laughs> with tribbles out of this book, so that's pretty cool. I, I thought so too, but it, but from what I read on Wikipedia, they both stole it from something else yeah i'll explain that i've got i've got it backwards and forwards in my head because okay I've, go ahead I, see take it um yeah first i want to address will's uh correct uh, assessment what is the three things math family and what was the third one free enterprise free enterprise yeah i remember uh, now he, he, he said the history is not that important i remember that now he's like because don't they admit the twins admit they've cheated right yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, history test. Yeah. The other took one a math che- test. One cheated. And then he's like, "Well, you have math. to retake the uh, the math test." But to the other son, he says, eh, "Just take more math." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and they're wrong. You know, they're they're audibly wrong about some. Like Hazel is wrong about when what year something happened, and she says that's probably wrong. And then she she just dismisses it as unimportant. Everybody in this family needs to know math. Right. And the fact that Hazel can uh, play chess with her grandson in a uh, on a scooter flying through as the she's facing belt, death, as she's yeah. facing death and beat him, <laughs> even though he's telepathic. Um, it, you're right. It is absolutely propaganda for math, for uh, the free enterprise system, which the word the words free enterprise are actually in this book as well. Um, and uh, and the family, absolutely, 100%. That's that's absolutely what's going on. 
I will I will point out that I am not great at math and all that math propaganda was like you know it made me feel like maybe I'm missing out on something on the other hand um like uh I'm not like Paul I I don't think we're actually going to be floating through the asteroid belt doing um uh, uh, radiological surveys of the asteroids because it used to be the planet Lucifer, right? <laughs> I don't think that that's uh, that important. Um, if you said, Jesse, you could be a math tutor or you could be an English tutor, uh, which do you think is going to make you more money? I'll tell you, it's going to be English. Way more. Uh, math tutors don't make as much, is my contention. Um, it might be the case that there are some great math tutors out there, but I think most people just either get it or they don't. They either struggle through it or they just give up on it. And really, you know, math is very interesting, but it's it's almost not useful at all unless you were talking basic basic uh, arithmetic for doing coins. <laughs> you know, uh, figuring out whether you're going to be able to afford something or not or not be able to afford something. So math is not super important compared to history and English. So that propaganda I can set aside. I can also set aside the um, the family propaganda because I think that that's actually fairly true. Um, families are important. <laughs> Everybody has one, and if they don't, they die. Uh, at least and I would, at the I would add that this it's it's earned. It's it's not just assumed. Like like Heinlein does spend a lot of time just you know describing and developing the relationship yes. between the family members. So of the I, three, it's the most earned, I guess. Absolutely. I think the math is the math is earned. It's just sort of, I mean, and it has a purpose in the context of 1952, right? We're in this like race with the Soviets for like science. He's trying to convince these like boy scouts to go get engineering degrees and like you know like beat the soviets yeah no well, that, that's a little bit later orbit. i mean that, it, sputnik's it, it, fear that's a little bit later in the decade right when they do the defense education act or whatever it was called was, he's anticipating he's he's driving it right he's very important for this but uh, you know the the family i can just set aside because uh, that's like everybody if you don't believe that families are important, you're just wrong. I mean, we're mammals. It, it, maybe the family doesn't need to consist of, um, you know, uh, one dad and one mom and uh, 2.5 kids or whatever. But it de definitely has to have a mom with uh, milk or we're dead, right? We're dead. It, it just, you can't have it without, uh, like, those kittens under your <laughs> under your porch, <laughs> right? They, they're needed. Um, they're, snakes don't have families. Right? They, they. I think Will's talking more like the ideology of a family. Yeah, oh, like I, a nuclear I, family. Not like I'm not like saying that I like agree. in nature, man doesn't have a family. Like, I agree. and this is not as experimental as you would see in Moon's Harsh Mistress, where Hazel Stone has other husbands, right? <laughs> Multiple husbands, and the relationships are odder. Um, this is very straight-laced in that respect. Um, yeah. However, um, the free enterprise that we've seen here is largely based on the talent of the family being able to write. You know, everybody in the family, the, the little the little baby is helping to write the, the TV show. 
Uh, that's a little unrealistic. <laughs> the grandma. That, that's the mentality of my audience. I I, I yeah. kind of got that. Four-year-olds have the biggest, you know, um, <laughs> imagination of them. So yeah, I I did uh, wander away from the tribbles, but I'll explain. So uh, there's the episode of uh, Star Trek Trouble with Tribbles definitely owes a debt to this book. Um, they're actually very similar. The relationship between Tribbles and Flapcats is that we like spending time with them and they multiply. And, uh, you know, that involves some Klingons and fake Klingons and whatever. There's a Deep Space Nine version of the same story, right? Mm-hmm. More Tribbles or whatever. But ultimately, uh, this book is, is the origin for that. Der- David Gerald has the credit on that, I think, on the. Star Trek episode, um, when Heinlein asked, was asked about uh, Tribble, Trouble with Tribbles, he said, it wasn't me. I stole it from uh, a guy named, um, what's his name? Alice Parker Butler. Butler. Yeah, uh, a story called Pigs is Pigs, which is very, very Heinleinian, and Heinlein wrote it, uh, sorry, wrote about that story basically in every story it's about officiousness of bureaucrats um it's a story about uh, a person who transports some guinea pigs on the train and refuses to pay the livestock rate instead he wants to pay the pet rate and he says but it says here on my chart pigs is pig Uh, these are pigs that, therefore, they're livestock, and so they, the company ends up owning the guinea pigs uh, while their dispute is happening, but they keep feeding them, and they keep breeding, and so it starts off with, like, four guinea pigs or something, and it ends up with uh, 1,400 <laughs> guinea pigs um, in the story, and it's a comedy, and it's it's super Heinleinian. Um, that's why, when you read it, you say, oh, my God, Heinlein stole so much from this, and... Uh, so it, it's a it's done slightly different here because they turn it into a business, right? Selling flops on the radio. I'd remembered when I originally read this. I I'm thinking back to my memory of that. I had thought their their TV show was actually a radio show that they were writing, but it wasn't. It was a TV show, and yet they do do a radio drama. Um, when advertising the flat cats in the in the asteroid belt, I thought the our other show was a radio show too. It was TV. It was TV, yeah. Because they talk about when they get to uh, was it Mars? They watch some of it. Their TV show was on, oh. and that's interesting because they actually perform it as a radio drama when the first script is finished, right? Mm-hmm. The family. Everybody plays a part, which is very interesting. What What did you think about that aspect of the book? Is that like really important for you, Mysa? Considering I, your I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I really I really loved that that they made a living from it and that they the way they they killed characters off and brought them back and had galactic. What you have a galactic, galactic overlord? overlord? Yes, it's brilliant. I, I thought that was great. Well, who put the Who put the uh, Note on their collection of bicycles. The Galactic Overlord, the grandma. 
I don't know. He was really handsome. It doesn't say, right? It doesn't say. Lowell. It must have been No, I don't know. Can Lowell even write? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe like, it was Edith. Edith. Maybe. <laughs> she's like, you know, oh, she's mom. she's a silent okay. killer. Yeah, I was, I was <laughs> like, who's Edith? She's she. I think she gets some shortest shrift in the whole book. She's kind of the the quiet, brilliant matriarch back there. Um, Stone gets way more dialogue than probably anybody. She doesn't get any dialogue, hardly any. Yes, dear, you're right. Where are the children, dear? Yeah, she has that. <laughs> she has the first really heroic moment though. Uh, mm-hmm. with the epidemic yeah yeah no everybody everybody does something except for the dad maybe he he just sort of tries to herd these cats or something because he doesn't he, really make a, he, among stones poor man he he doesn't seem to make any major decisions they sort of are foisted upon him and then he agrees to them right the boy want to do this and like no i want to get this spaceship and they're like but this one's not as good and hazel argues him into it right mm-hmm. or like maneuvers him into it like yeah, he gets yeah. maneuvered into things yeah that's a better way of putting it uh, i mean he even says that like he's like the dumbest one in the family but he will be the head of household like or something like that oh. yeah Lowest IQ, I think, is probably the way he puts it. I think so. It's very 1950s, this book. <laughs> well, and yeah, he's like writing a. I mean, he's like the lowest IQ, but he's like they're going out to the asteroid belts for him to like write a book or something about like that. Like he's yeah. he's writing a book, and they want to hear from him on civic matters. He was the mayor. Mayor of the moon, Luna City, mm-hmm. or whatever. Well, he said they say he's writing a book, but he doesn't write anything. We don't see him writing it. He says he's almost done. He was blocking it out while there was a flat cat on his face. While <laughs> he was sleeping. There was a couple of incidents, and I was like, is this, a, is this like taken from Heinlein's real life? First of all, the, the flat cat was on his face and while he was sleeping, and his wife has to take it off and says, you weren't dying, dear. There was just a flat cat on your face. He couldn't breathe. And then when he's in the shower, he loses his his face mask or whatever that prevents him from drowning while he's showering. Yeah. <laughs> so that's two incidents where he's like almost dies. I was like, is this Heinlein? Because he had trouble breathing, right? Did he? Uh, yeah. I mean, he he, he was kicked out of the navy for it. Oh. I had trouble. Uh, I think it was he got consumption. Um, oh. Pretty sure. He also moved to Colorado for. For similar reasons, um, moved around a lot, um, trying to get the right climate for right his air. lungs. Yeah, yeah, he's had some sort of. Uh, I mean, he had a number of health troubles, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, uh, it was another word for consumption that isn't consumption. Tuberculosis. That's the one. <laughs> I think it was tuberculosis. There's a story. Uh, I think it's a Larry Niven story or something. Where somebody goes back in time and gives him a shot of something to prevent tuberculosis, so he can stay out of the stay out of the uh, fiction writing business, make room for other science fiction writing, <laughs> <laughs> and stay in the navy. 
Um, but uh, it, I think he is wrong about the. I mean, the math. Unless, unless you're like a a navigator on a sailing boat in the 16th century, I don't think you need to know math as well. Um, I it's, just it's not that important. I just read um, Project Hail Mary by um, yeah. Andy Weiss, who is a weir. Andy Weir, Andy Weir, uh, from the Martian, um, and um, all math. It was all math. It was, and and it was funny because I was reading that and listening to this at the same time, and there mm-hmm. was so much of the same kind of um, technical mathematical dumps. Like, okay, I'm in this place, and these are the parameters, and this is how I'm going to solve this, and and but all math. Jesse, if you're gonna if you're mm-hmm. gonna be an engineer or or a space ranger, you you're need writing to... hard SF. You actually know, do need to do the math. By the time we get to a stage where we're actually gonna be settling Mars and the asteroids, aren't there gonna be like robots to do that stuff for us? I think there will be robots, <laughs> but but like it's funny that you, this but this book just like, came these guys out are still using slide rules. Stuff. They don't have a computer on their ship. They have slide rules. They have slide rules. Yeah. The, the the first thing they talk about when they go inside the 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 boys go inside the first spaceship they look at is that the computers uh, have been pulled out and therefore it's it's scrap the ship is scrap right. But w- when they're talking about computers, like it's basically the same way they're talking about the gyros on the on the uh, little jet jet vehicle, right? It's super simple. There's almost no electronics involved. It's it's basically mechanical computers so they're doing that's why they need to do all this math right i don't need to know um much about my car to make sure i don't run out of gas i just look at the gauge (laughs) and i say well i should probably stop for gas sometime but that's the other thing is when they go out on a little trip in between the asteroids if my car breaks down um I, I'm on the road and I have a cell phone and I can walk to the next town or next gas station. There, it's it's you're you're dead, right? So the fact that the boys save the ma the grandma with math and their little brother with math, that's the propaganda in, in full action. Uh, but um, when you said the what the propaganda was for this book. Well, the first time you said, I thought you weren't saying math. I thought you were saying mass, M-A-S-S. And that's oh, no, well, mass and math, right? They go together, right? So there's a line, I was trying to find it um, in this book. It's super quotable. Oh, here it is. I found it. Uh, <laughs> wherever there's power and mass to manipulate, comma, man can live and man is capitalized. This is why Elon Musk thinks he can live on Mars, right? Wherever there is power and mass to manipulate, man can live. He's correct. But you don't get that, um, you know, that power just by going there. You have to set up, like, solar panels, and you have to set up, uh, you know, bring a a plutonium decay generator. You have to do a lot of work. And... Yes, it's technically true. Wherever there is power and mass to manipulate, man can live. But that's a lot of effort. <laughs> Why not just live on a place where we have those things free? 
aka Earth. <laughs> you groundhog. <laughs> uh, if Did Paul you was hear here, the one about the worm in the slime, Jesse. Yeah, Why does the worm yeah, fall out of the slime? Absolutely, propaganda. It's wonderful. I mean, I, 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 I believe it. I think that's right. We are the worm that crawl out of the f- slime. We are the monkeys that grew hands and started grabbing things. Well, monkeys have hands, but <laughs> no, but they they started off as worms, right? Oh, in the story, right? They grew hands and started grabbing stuff and they grabbing slide rules. <laughs> and now, I mean, there's a line near the end uh, where they go off. Where, where, are they headed to Titan at the end? I think they're headed to Titan. Yeah, because yeah, I think so. Yeah, they're skipping Jupiter to go to the the rings of Saturn because uh, Mima wants to see them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, and then they're saying, and so went uh, many other stones rolling off into space. Right, talking about the species um, to the other outer planets. And but the thing is, is it's cold out there, right? Titan so, so has, far from the sun. It has a, a liquid seas on it, but they're methane. <laughs> and it's like minus 300 degrees or something. I think that that's too cold for us to live on. So it, it it's fun stuff and really cool, but not very realistic. So um, I, I guess Kim Stanley Robinson's right. We can't. We can't have nice things off planet. <laughs> um, but it, this was still fun. I, I enjoyed it. But well, maybe maybe Paul's Paul's uh, right about being upset about this. Maybe it's better not to know. Well, I, I think that just to clarify Kim Stanley Robinson's position, I think he's like, thinks we can colonize the solar system, just not anything else. Right, right. And m- more importantly, the inner solar system, right? Yeah, but I mean, he's got... I, in 2312, he's got people set up on, like, the Jovian moons anyway. And he's, like, into the asteroid belt. So he's not but, as skeptical of, uh, of his effort. I mean, right, that Green Mars, Blue Mars, Red Mars trilogy, right? So he's, yeah. he's into the idea, but he's becoming more skeptical as time goes on. Yeah, I mean, I think we could be focused on other things other than colonizing the solar system. And if Kim Stanley Robinson says that, I agree with him. Well, we, I, I think we can do both, but maybe just not on the time frame with the tech we have. I, I was making a, uh, that last podcast I was editing up. I couldn't believe how funny it was. Well, we could we could lay the keel for the Starship Enterprise now, right? <laughs> we can put it up and we could shoot it up into orbit we could actually have a physical reconstruction of the ncc 1701 in orbit but there's no artificial gravity so we'd be floating around like like the space family stone inside the ship <laughs> <laughs> you can go visit the bridge by swimming there right <laughs> and the replicators don't work they're just like props and the transporter doesn't work you can have a space shuttle in this in this shuttle bay, but it'll just clang around unless you tie it down. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we can we can definitely work on this stuff. But um, that's the nice thing is Heimlein does have these people 
Uh, what's the name of the old man who lives in the asteroid belt? Oh, he, he's got his oh Charlie. 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 His feet are his hands as well as his hands. Yeah. Because right? yeah. he's lived up there so long. I thought, I, uh, for some reason, I thought he and Hazel were going to get married. When, when you know what? At the end, when Hazel said, I'm not going with you, I thought she was going to marry, I don't know, him or somebody, like the, the judge. The judge, when he's like, you're Hazel? I was like, oh, there's <laughs> sparky romance. You see, Heinlein defied our expectation. <laughs> he subverted the joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need some more uh, Evan complaints. Complaints? I don't have uh, complaints. You you enjoyed this book too much. Yeah, I just had a lot of fun with it. It's very fun, right? I guess there's the the bureaucracy stuff we could talk about. Uh, it seems the it was the state that got in the way of all their money making endeavors. But the state, you know, totally listened to Hazel's convincing speech and let the kids go. That was fun when when okay. we let we, we ended a chapter and the next chapter said yeah the twins are in jail again. <laughs> yeah, I guess one thing I didn't totally accept with this and maybe this is just a product of when it was written is like how they're like surprised at the regulations because here I'm I'm like trying to prepare my flight back to America and I'm like trying to figure out like all the COVID regulations right and like what do I need at different airports and transfer and whatever you know what forms am i going to need what tests i'm going to need before i go like i know what i need to do before i get leave these people just seem to have no idea what the rules were on mars they don't have the internet to, 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 right? to, to sell bikes <laughs> yeah and i guess it created drama or something but it, that did not seem very realistic to me well if you're gonna put all your capital into bikes you would can i sell these things on mars seems it's yeah Business 101. Uh, I, I thought it was a, it was fairly interesting that Mars is getting, it's it's under development in this uh-huh. book, right? We hear a lot about Venus. They've been to Venus. They almost go to Venus in this book. But they this is about Mars uh, un, as a newly independent nation trying to generate revenue that, you know, the, the tourist, uh, I, I, I think he did a pretty good job arguing, you know, it's a luxury good or it's not a luxury good and what makes something a luxury good. Um, that was, that was, I'm, I'm attributing it to Heinlein rather than Hazel Stone because he's the one who set up the problem in the first place. And then when we get to the, the asteroid belt, which is basically, there's only three places in this book, right? There's, or I guess in transit as well, there's the moon, there's Mars, and then there's the asteroid belt. Um, when they get to the asteroid belt, it's libertarian, right? Yeah. There's no laws, right? And I think there was even something about, the, you know, murder on on Mars is is a civil matter, <laughs> right? Um, I thought that was and, a throwaway joke. You think that's real? No, no, I no, that's absolutely Heinlein logic. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> which is there are a lot of sort of lines like There's that. Some of like, that in the Moon is a Harsh Mistress, isn't there? Absolutely. Like, yeah. Where they were warning the one guy, the guy was warning the tourists, like you can't talk to women that way. These guys could have just killed you or something. Yeah. They, huh. I mean, they joke about it in this book, spacing people, right? Um, yeah. Again, I yeah, I didn't uh, take it at spacing value. 
what's funny is he he <laughs> plays it both ways. Um, when he gets out the belt, that's a genuine threat, right? Turns out that you know he's not going to use it on the kids, but the fact that it was used on him or previous generations, this is like. The, those belts were real. That right? scared me. Actually, at that point, I was like, he's not gonna. He wouldn't. I didn't know if he was gonna do it. Guy. He's an enlightened 1950s guy, but I'm mm-hmm. sure he was beaten. Heinlein was probably beaten with a belt when he was a kid. Right? That was a real thing. And the fact that they're set, you know, in the farther future than the 1950s it's written in. That's That's something, but uh we had and i think it's still i don't know it's probably not allowed in china anymore but i've had students tell me you know they got corporal punishment in school what do you what do you hear evan i uh, certainly i've never seen that in my school and i don't no. think they but I, I i i've heard it's pretty rare for parents to hit their kids right i don't know if this is a product of the one child policy the little emperor Right, right. Stuff. But I think, yeah, I, I don't see much of that, or I don't yeah. hear much about. That. I mean, but I think domestic uh, domestic violence in general, if it exists, is kind of swept under the carpet, right? School like, violence. When I talk to like divorced women, they it's always like affairs. It's never violence. Mm-hmm. I don't get the sense of too much of it. Maybe it's just all hidden. It's not something people want to talk about. Yeah, it's often. But, you know, when I was a, a kid, that there was generation. The generations before were definitely disciplined by the teachers because those teachers were still around, yeah. some of them, who had, been, who had done it, and they talked about it, which is freaky. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, you, my, you would my see cousin it in, got hit well, in school. My, like, I had a cousin who was, like, paddled in school. Right. Really? By a teacher, yeah. Like he got like permission from my uncle. Um, wow. It's like still legal here. But so the teacher can, can call up the the parent and say, "Okay, I really want to hit your kid," and the parent can say, "Yeah, it's, Go it's ahead. pretty." They filled a form at the start of the semester saying, "Feel free to beat my kid whenever." Wow. Yeah, I, it's real. It's like it's overwhelmingly very high rare. Form. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's overwhelmingly rare, but it is like something that like can happen. Mm-hmm. And like there's so, a lot of the like. There's a lot of the, like, um, I was, like, disciplined in this way, so it's, like, the correct way to discipline children, like, from, like, parents. The thing is, is it definitely changes your mood (laughs) from one of being, uh, I don't know, playful and insulty with the teacher to fearful. Uh, Maybe that's not what we want. Uh, but it definitely is a change, and that's why it's effective, right? <laughs> it's effective in changing things. It's not effective in maybe, maybe you uh, enjoying the wonderful experience that is education. But usually that that's not <laughs> happening anyways, which is why, hence the, the issue. It's a huge problem, uh, education. Um, here, the father says you need to take international correspondence school courses which is a real company um <laughs> just like product placement here um, <laughs> i guess i might believe in it um and i uh i had an experience i probably haven't told you guys this um 
when uh, my father took us out on his boat right before he died, um, we went up the coast and went into all these little inlets. And it it's like, it, it was as close to space exploration as I'm ever going to get, right? And we pull into some little bay or harbor and there'd be houses there or a little cabin or a dock. And one time we pulled into a little uh, bay, which was like a um, an outlet for some minor logging camp. And it was like a, a house that had been wrecked. You know, somebody local had gone in there and, I don't know, smoked marijuana or whatever they do. Um, and inside, I found a whole bunch of, like, inter- international correspondence-style you know, distance education courses. I was like, some kid was here, like me, having to take courses so far away from from the, you know, mainstream. You know, probably had electricity, probably came from a generator. And that was really interesting because, yeah, people grow up all over. You don't know their circumstances. The homeschooled kids are weird, right? Um, but these kids... They're super weird. They got a major experience in in their growing up. All of them. Lowell, who apparently is later a doctor in some yes. later Heinlein novel. <laughs> um, and uh, Mead, who I assume ends up marrying some uh, uh, <laughs> space space patrol uh, officer or something, right? Singing Based him on, to sleep. Right, right. She didn't become a singing star or whatever. Um, with, and with the boys. Contralto. <laughs> yeah. And the boys, you know, end up in some evil plan to take over the universe. <laughs> but <laughs> working with the galactic overlord or whatever <laughs> happens to them. But altogether, they had a wonderful family experience, which is the, the family trip on their private yacht. And uh, the fact that they, uh, they're at the beginning of the book, there's three places to look for spaceships, right? One is Dan McKeesian. Let's see, dealer Dan McKeesian, I used <laughs> to say. And then there's the Hungarian who's apparently out of business or something. Uh, and then there's the government surplus yard, right? Where uh, all that war material, you can pick up a B-52, for pennies on the dollar, you can pick up an old uh, bow fighter, turn it into your private aircraft, go fly around the world with it. This is um, coming out of out of a real situation where people did do that. They did buy World War II surplus transporters, DC-3s, etc., and turn them into their private, uh, you know, vacation stuff. You could buy a a uh, surplus Corvette, you know, one of those um, escort ships from the Battle of the Atlantic and turn it into your private yacht and go travel the seven seas with your family. This is a, this is a rich person's dream, but we don't get the sense at the beginning of the book that the family is ultra wealthy, do we? There's no sense that they're, you know, of the top 1% of the 1%. They're just a family, and they're not doing terribly. And they're like community Upper middle famous. class. 
Yeah. What's that? I, they're like famous in their community, you know. Yeah. Well, and also in the asteroid belt, or <laughs> as it turns out, uh, yeah, like all of the outer places, like they're kind of famous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it says. So uh, I mean, they they have the the cash flow problem that leads to them uh, having to create more of this like funny show that they don't really respect. Yeah, which to me is a very meta commentary on on not just science fiction, but on Heinlein's writing files, right? Starts in, I think it's 49, and he writes a, a juvenile a year for 15 years or something like that. So this is, what, this is one of them. And honestly, this might be the worst uh, juvenile, because as... Somebody was it saying was it who was saying it is, had no plot? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't Somebody have a was, big thing. Well, it doesn't have a plot. Yeah, either, but it doesn't have that's a, it. It was you. Will. Yeah, but it doesn't have like a where's the where's the big science fiction concept in this? It's just like you're lots right. of like little like uses of math that are like interesting. Mm-hmm. Or like it, you know, it's like the big concept is that we could do this at all, right? The big concept is that one day there will be surplus Elon Musk rockets from the millions that the state of the United States will procure for setting stuff into orbit or whatever. And we're going to have all these sitting in the Arizona desert and we can drive out there and pick one out and fix it up and take off and go to visit the asteroid belt. Right. So that's the main idea is that this is actually possible. And that is bullshit, obviously. But not for everybody. Elon Musk can do it. Because he's, you know, closing in on, was the third richest man or whatever. So that, uh, the aspect of um, class that I normally expect Evan to talk about all the time hasn't come up because I think we don't really see any class in this book, do we? Everybody's equal. There's just people in the state. Yeah, so on the, the moon... the state is, like, made of people here. Like, it's it's really a weird thing where, on the one hand, um, you know, uh, this judge is able to recognize Hazel and, you know, has a relationship with her in that way. And they're both, like, old-timers of a certain sort of old-timer, and that's who populates the state. Um, you know, there's these like regulations that they've invented for themselves that are like keeping them down. Uh, and I mean, it, you know, there's the aspect of this story that's like utopian, this is possible, but then the dad is explaining what the life of these like outer space miners is like to the, the children. It's like, they're never going to make any money. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the like libertarian commune or like, 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 you know, ideal community out in the asteroid belt is like everybody's broke <laughs> yeah but but like from didn't wouldn't who uh who settled the moon wouldn't, wouldn't it be the people who are now miners like they're out there opening I'd, i haven't read i haven't read all his other stories so but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like the rich people it, it seemed like the people that had to go out there and good point settle that um in the and the, and the, the moon like, yeah so uh, in the moon is the harsh mistress. The settlers on the moon are actually prisoners. They're yeah, there so, from... so these and are so the... they're all equally uh, low. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then and then how they perform in the revolution, which is mostly the American Revolution, but some of the Russian Revolution, which is really weird. <laughs> really weird to have those two things combined. Um, makes you famous on the planet, and that gives you more woofy or whatever. Um, so, and then they, I, I don't know the origin of the Mars colonists either. Seem like the same group of, you know, now, okay, Misfits. so that's what happened to the Mars people. They went to the, uh, you know, to be, search their fortune elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there was a, an adorable little moment um, when uh, they were they were I think they were heading for Mars and the kids looked out the window back at um, the, the moon and the Earth and they're like <gasps> and they were looking at the moon because the Earth didn't mean anything to them so mm. yeah no there wasn't a, you know huge science but that was a, a lovely little science fiction moment. Mm-hmm. It's got a lot of those. It's. Mm-hmm. It. I think it was a great. It was a great book to read while I was traveling, hundred percent, because it's it's super readable. This is the this is the big lie they they tell about Heinlein that he's not readable. Very super readable. readable. I mean, it hard pressed to find somebody who's more readable. It's unbelievably readable there are certainly issues to complain about but that the fact that he's he's not readable is not one of them that's bullshit yeah i hadn't heard that before that sounds like a made-up complaint no well we talked about this a couple months ago right the yeah that one podcast that that claimed that Heinlein was our opinions are correct yes oh yeah and it, it and you, you uh, might be Melka for say, a lot of complaints, though. You might be. No. I don't know if that's a universal complaint about Heinlein. No, uh, people say it. Uh, there, but it seems to be like um, it seems to be like there's people who are. I think they're writers talking to other writers about what you need to read to be a writer today, and they're saying you don't need to read anything past ten years ago. Just read the modern stuff. That'll give you what you need to do to do your job, which is to write science fiction. So those people, they'll sweep any sort of diss at the older stuff. And because Heinlein's famous, you know, for Clark, they'll say, oh, he's a pedophile. Or, you know, for um, uh, Lovecraft, he's racist. But just because somebody's pedophile doesn't mean you can't read their books. Oh no, certainly not. But yeah, I mean that's like. And not not that well, there's. I don't want to litigate that case, but the, the evidence there is not, not super strong. It's not it's not non-existent either. But in any case, um, the fact that people are saying Heinlein is not worth reading or kids don't read. I mean, Paul says this that nobody reads Heinlein today and nobody needs to read Heinlein today. And I'm like, I need. I wholeheartedly disagree. Need is not the right word. Um, I, I don't think this book is going to teach you much about how to live your life in an asteroid belt, because <laughs> that's not going to happen. 
on the other hand, um, it's fascinating. I, I, I found it fascinating and super, super interesting because he, he really has ideas. And so, yeah, there is no overwhelming one idea other than that this is a, a real possibility. Well, you talked about math. Like, you don't have to do a lot of math. I have a math minor, and I never use math, except right. you know, I have to balance a checkbook stuff. But you, to be honest, you don't have to read either. And there's plenty That's of people right. out there who don't read, and they get through their life just fine. So this need to well, read. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm sure you can be a decent writer and never read in Heinlein, and, and even a decent <laughs> science fiction writer. Yeah, no, but that thing about only read whatever happened in the past 10 years, that's that's like crazy talk. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it, it's yeah. like only listen to me what I'm saying now. Don't listen to what I said last week mm-hmm. because um, I was lying to you last week and I don't want you to think about it. That's the evil shit, right, is that you can go to the source and see the truth. Edgar Allan Poe never got to read Heinlein. He did just fine. <laughs> but uh, if you have to read anybody, but you should. But it's not. It's good to read many things. Yeah, but the reason I read Rudyard Kipling is because I read Heinlein, and Heinlein thought Kipling was so amazing that he kept stealing from him, right, over and over again. He said, mm, "I got to steal this." Ellis Parker Butler uh, Pigs is Pigs That's great, I'm going to steal that So why mine the past So you can steal from it, of course (laughs) Don't steal from your 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 neighbors Today, steal from The ancients, that's where the The gold is Steal from Pollux and Castor Yeah um, in fact, th- this is not the only book with Heinlein's twins. Are they are they supposed to be identical or fraternal? They're, he never said. But they're he, five minutes or twelve minutes right. apart. Right, and they're both redheads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but, so, but if they if they took each other's tests, they they would presumably have been identical, right? Uh, I'm presuming that too. Um, but. Uh, in the audiobook, uh, which which audiobook did you all listen to? I sent you all both, right? I listened to the Tom Weiner. Tom Weiner one. Yeah, Weiner. me too. Not not the which cat. He read a lot of Philip Dick books. I I recognize his voice. He wrote a lot of read a lot that, of Heinlein. The beginning of the story where they're they're at like a a lot buying a jalopy. Like mm-hmm. this sounds like a Philip Dick novel. Well, it's because it was the mm-hmm. voice. Of, <laughs> of that and and dick novels often have people in lots of lot jalopies that's right <laughs> a lot of j- space jalopies um <laughs> yeah, i did the fun. i did the full cast version yeah i did too um tom weiner also narrated a lot of larry niven he's a blackstone uh, staple blackstone audio staple um they're almost identical in length um, the the major difference between full cast audio and regular audiobooks is they take away the attribution. So like if it said uh, he walked into the room and said right, he walked into the room, the narrator would say, and then there's no word said or she replied. But Heinlein doesn't almost use that at all, anyways. So the I think one is seven hours long, the other is seven hours and fifteen minutes long. And the uh, the full cast audio one is the longer one. <laughs> so, 
so it, it's it didn't abridge almost anything you know those words like attribution says and replied and that sort of thing but get this i was really surprised there was one actor playing both twins did you notice that at the end will yeah i mean i also kind of noticed it throughout the uh the audiobook i thought they were distinct i thought they were different kids i I had a i had a hard time telling them apart throughout the uh, audiobook to be honest Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I, I was like, oh, I recognize this kid from this other full cast. I recognized all their voices from other full cast productions. I, I assume that that would be so fun because they got to do it in real time, right? They get everybody into the room and start recording. It, it'd be like exactly what the Space Family Stone does in this book when they get that first script. They do a live reading, check check their work, make sure it sounds right. Table reading. Um, I think that's really cool. But yeah, I don't think it really matters which one you listen to. Tom Winder's a good narrator. Um, he, but... uh, he changed the voices on the twins. Oh, did he? he? Okay. One of them, uh, a, a, vo- a cracking voice, like a, a his vo- a voice changing, changing. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think Pollux was more the crackling voice, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's those 12 minutes just hung on. I, I I mentioned the twins because there's another Heinlein novel, another juvenile that has twins. I'm trying to remember the title of it. It's like Time Enough for the Sky or something. That's not the right title. Um, Time of the Twins. No, that's a different book. <laughs> Anyways, it's about two twins who are identical uh, twins who are, have telepathy, like Lowell. Um or Buster, as they call them, right? Um, and they use them to communicate uh, across the galaxy, uh, splitting the twins up so that they can telepathically communicate faster than light or something. Cool. I was like, well, that's, it's interesting. You know, it's not science, right? <laughs> Telepathy is not science. But it's, a, it's an idea, and it's definitely one that was very popular in the in the fifties, late forties, early fifties. So the one last thing I want to talk about, which is that Heinlein's created that ideal family that he never had. He always does this, right? So he is all the characters in a certain sense. He's Hazel with the with the gun at her belt um when you flip it open there's a cough drop inside um <laughs> it's like that libertarianism uh, i can wear a gun around because i have the right um but subverted because it's just a cough drop dispenser it's a pez dispenser essentially <laughs> um and then there's the the mom who's the competent doctor there's the dad who's the all over the place, um, competent man, but he feels like he's dumber than everybody else. And then there's the four kids. And those four kids are the four kids he never had that he's always writing about, that he's writing to an audience of. And it's like he really, 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 really wanted to be a dad. He, he had all these lessons to teach his kids, and he didn't have that opportunity. So he's, he's teaching all these... Uh, boys and girls, I guess, uh, 
who are reading his books these little lessons and saying, you know, when in my in my day I got whipped with a belt. Here, I'll show it to you. But I'm not going to do that to you. Your punishment is you're going to have to live with what you've done. I think that that's what's so interesting. It's is like a compulsion. He deep down wanted to be a dad, and so he's trying to do that without having uh, any actual kids. Hmm. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. How can anybody dislike this book? I can't understand it. I could see someone thinking it was like too corny to be enjoyable. Like not yeah, everybody likes to read that word corny before. books. You, you used that word before, corny. I think it's it it's is old fashioned. It, it is self evident how this book is corny. You know, it's like it's very much like not hip. <laughs> it, it's certainly not sure. hip, and it's like we're all it's like hanging out with dad, and uh, I, I don't know. I mean. I found it was I found the the corniness to be endearing, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, you know it's not a like this book is like not going to be for like every audience, but it was never written for every every audience, so that's fine. Yeah, I can't imagine a lot a lot of adults at the time um, reading it and saying this book is for me. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But as a as a piece of uh, history, I think it's even more interesting as an adult. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, do you think this would be a good read for like a kid today? Yeah, that's that's usually the the knock on Heinlein is that he's not a good read for, read for kids today. I'm not sure that novels are what kids are reading today, or even if they are reading today. I know that you know Rick Riordan's popular, right? Um, and I can see the appeal of that. Uh, but I I got this book, I got that book in 1990, right? Or 1991. And that is 40, almost, yeah, 40 years after the book came out. And it was great for me. I, I think if, if a kid was in, would want to read like Nancy Drew or that kind of thing, this would work, this would fall in. If a kid there. wants to read, of course, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah what, what, there's the ar- argument it's it's missing the uh, LGBTQ representation or something like. You could argue all sorts of things that it's it's. Well, they don't know that about missing. That's right. I mean, there's barely any sex in this book at all, if there is any. I mean, we know that there's oh, the cats, the, the flat cats. There you go. There's a lot. I forgot. There's a lot of it. <laughs> Yeah, there's the flat cats and there's the you know, you know there's the uh um you know what's her name uh Mead accepts that she's like going to find a husband someday right, right. you're she's, married she's uh, husband high now <laughs> <laughs> even though we don't measure you in height we measure you in length and space your <laughs> husband high now <laughs> that was uh, and she seemed to think that that was it, it was definitely going to happen so yeah, I guess you could you can knock it for something, uh, something, but that's there, there, pretty weak. There was one other like tiny thing that I I, I read and I or, and and I highlighted it because because I was like it stuck out as interesting. 
Um, it says, they probably aren't really possibilities at all. If we only understood it, Pollux, predestination, caster, very shaky theory. Roger grinned. I'm not a determinist, and you can't get my goat. I believe in free will. Pollux, another very shaky theory. Make up your minds, their father told them. You can't have it both way. Why not? asked Hazel. Free will is a golden thread running through the frozen matrix of fixed events. <laughs> well, now where did that come from in, in this whole thing? Like, it, it, it's interesting that he brings up a thing like that in the middle of this my opinion, sitcom, fun mm -hmm. thing. But, you know, there he threw it in there. Yep. Um, he's a, He's good. Because he's right. Um, predestination is a thing. I mean, there's that movie, a Heinlein movie called Predestination based on uh, a time travel short story by him about a guy who is called All You Zombies who gives birth to himself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he he get recruits himself into the into the time core where he's gonna fight the time war um and he goes back in time to to get himself and then he says now my son your first job is <laughs> as, as a time core to uh go to the future and get yourself a sex change so that you can mate with yourself and give birth to yourself. Ooh. And then your real assignment begins, which is doing my job. <laughs> Holy crap. Would you say that was called? <laughs> that, the original short story is called All You Zombies. Huh. Um, it's a very funny story. I mean, it's not jokes. It's just funny as in, uh, you know, the concept is amazing. Um, and the novel, the movie version is called Predestination, and it's pretty good. It's fairly faithful. Um, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, that's the other thing, kind of sex that's in here, Evan, <laughs> is the incest, right? The uh, all those flat cats. If if the first one was pregnant, not by uh, mitosis or whatever, but by actual sexual congress, all the babies are. All the baby flat cats are impregnating each other's brothers and sisters, if if they even do have a single gen a double gender. Maybe they have a triple gender, given the nature of the Martians. Yeah, maybe they're just splitting off. I think they're just splitting, <laughs> like tribbles. yeah. I mean, like tribbles, we don't we don't know. <laughs> Tribble sex might be happening all the time. You're petting them. You don't know. You could be initiating it. <laughs> that's why all that all that uh that's why they like to be petted so much <laughs> oh coming God. to lay eggs on dad <laughs> well that's uh the, they were talking about them being parasites right yeah um <laughs> when he's sleeping on the dad's face oh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's pretty funny stuff yeah, you're right. It is corny. I didn't I didn't see it as corny at the time, but you're right. Well, it is totally corny. Um, but that's no knock on it. I don't think. It's just Yeah, that's so like, like that's just that's a it's enough. just an objective. I mean, you know, I'm yeah. like a kind of corny person. Right. So. I like corn. So, so good. Yeah, corn is good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> corn. You don't want to only have a diet of corn though, guys, right? You want to mix it up a bit. You want to so, mix yeah. it too. I, this is one of his corniest, I would say, yes. Um, 
yeah, and it it has a it has a a nice spot in in the solar system between planets. Um, also has that sort of in between planets in the solar system feel to it. It isn't like the I, I guess even farmer in the sky where a lot of it's set on Earth and some of it's set on on uh, Ganymede or you know red planets entirely set on on Mars. So yeah, this this has a lot of connections to other other Heinlein stories. Other Heinlein novels, totally worth read. I, I I keep I'm keeping the torch out for um, Evan doing a a series on Heinlein, reading all of Heinlein and doing a podcast on all of Heinlein because he's an American writer. He's the most American science fiction writer. How can he not? I accept no excuses. I mean, I Evan. might. I might. You have to, right? Don't you? He's so important. Well, I'll, I'll need a project after I'm done with, with the Lovecraft series. Yeah. Which and is coming getting, pretty soon. You're getting there. not that much more to yeah. do. Yeah. There's a lot, and there's a lot to read. But they're all readable. I mean, you will get sick of them when you get to uh, to Sail Beyond the Sunset. or. Uh, <laughs> but I think some of that later uh, stuff number is probably piece. more interesting to me. Yeah, there's going to be interesting stuff in it, but I think it'll be a bit of a bit more of a slog because they're a lot longer as well. well that's this how I feel about nice. the, the Lovecraft letters at this point. Slog. Yeah, there's a lot of repetition in there. I mean, the 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 Robert E. Howard ones. When I get into the Howard Lovecraft letters, they're kind of special. They're really, mm-hmm. you know, it's not little little Augie Dareleth asking for writing advice again. Market advice. It's those are really a special set, so that's why I'm going to focus on them. And and I'm really interested in the later revisions, which I've I haven't read any of them. I don't think. So I'm excited about that, but it's it's coming to its end. Yeah. Um. Ah. Uh, so that's a good thing. He, it he's, opens up possibilities. For... It's not going to be right away. Yeah, I'm going to take. I got to do some real academic writing. For a while, and like sex Star, Star Trek. Trek. That's right, the sex Star, Star Trek. Trek. Sex book. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, done, I've done all the pre-reading for you. <laughs> well, I've been taking notes. I, I gotta, I gotta do my own watch through. Um, I have to do some good stuff. I, I think that's. Well, I could just follow that Trekonomics book and just watch like twelve episodes. But no, no representative. Yeah. You can you you can no you can uh, you could do it one book per per series if you like but you'll peter out by the time you get to the Picard season four or whatever. There's no sex <laughs> oh in the my. Picard series, is there? I don't know. Oh no, there's, sure there's, there's one oh, sex scene Grant. in Picard, and then like the bell rings as we go to work, and that that's when I kind of checked out <laughs> of the series. But, like oh, in all God. in all the other Star Trek series, like there was you were at work. And then you went to do sex. And then in Picard, they were having sex. And then they went off to work. That really offended me. <laughs> <laughs> Broke the sheer fucking humor of that show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
What was that, Will? Uh, I, I I've got I'm speechless. It's um, uh, Evan has amazed me again. That's what he does. He's amazing. Well, like well, I, like Red Letter Media was saying they they should just go ahead and make Picard gay for for season two. <laughs> you mean the robot Picard gay? Because he's not a he's, well, he's a robot. Now. Yeah. yeah. So. Would he be just would he be robot gay or just regular gay? No. I mean, like only for like other boy robots or like just <laughs> men in general. <laughs> oh my <question>. god. <laughs> you know what? I actually kind of hope they keep doing these shows because I want to see more red letter media torture. <laughs> convolutedly explain why why this makes no, no sense. But I, I feel so sorry for those guys because they grew up on Star Trek, you know. And, and they're from Milwaukee, so I have a lot of empathy for them. You know, being Midwest. <laughs> but you just see the pain in their faces when they when they have to talk about the new Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> uh, they they seem to. I, I don't remember them talking too much about Discovery, but they're they're. They did the first and second seasons. They yeah. they did. A bunch of episodes. They didn't. They didn't. I. They said they never watched season three of Discovery. I don't know I if believe, I buy it, but they I didn't believe. do episodes on it. Um, but they went. They suffered through Picard, and they did a whole review episode of Picard, which is really hilarious. Where he starts out like it's one of those plinket reviews, which is like their alter ego. He's a whole Mr. character, Plank. but yeah, yeah but. Like what Picard could have been, and it's actually pretty brilliant. Like if you just put an eighty-year-old Picard on his vineyard, retired, what kind of sci-fi stories could you have set there? It'd be like, yeah, like Crusher comes to help him with some medical problem, and then they reminisce about you know the good old days, and then you know maybe. He, you know, she starts to have feelings for him, but her husband comes back through some cue or something, and then she has to make a choice. <laughs> you know, that's that's better than anything we got in the real Picard series. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'm watching. That's good, third something to watch. The 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 Plinket review of of Picard. Yeah, really definitely. The uh, the third season of Enterprise, they seem to have decided to do a whole like. I don't know, season pass of some, they're in the expanse and the Zindi. Yeah, it's a serial. It's I'm like, serial. what? This is so stupid. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. Oh my God. But um, I I have been keeping track of all the movies they have on the Enterprise. Um, like they have a database of movies and they, they have movie night. And there's one screenshot showing the movies. All the movies are on the screenshot are fake, except for uh, the day that Earth stood still. Um, but uh, they also talk a lot about other, like they talked about a Bing Crosby, uh, Bob Hope movie that they were going to show. And they talked about, you know, Frankenstein. So I'm making a list of all the movies that were on Enterprise. And then I also noted that... Um, and a, in some sort of cultural exchange they did with some aliens who who uh, have a slave uh, third gender uh, for their 
sexual couplings or triplings, I guess. Um, they they gave them a uh, thumb drive full of all the ship's videos. I'm like, future science fiction Star Trek world has no copyright because they can just share it with anybody. Right? There's no license agreements. There's no <laughs> FBI warnings. They can just uh, hand a thumb drive full of shit. And well, the, on Enterprise, only watch movies from like the 50s. That's 60s. right. Yeah. Black and white mostly. I think that's a problem in a lot of Star Trek, though. Like Picard going back, reminiscing on the 50s, too, or it's the 20s. He's got that Dixon Hill character in the holodeck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't buy it. There's got to be some. What, what about the 2100s? There's no culture there that people are digging? It's hard to do that. Uh, when, when you see examples like <laughs> Buck Rogers in the. Uh, 25th century, they have like, um, here's future music, and it's basically it's just disco. <laughs> yeah, like Futurama would do that, but it was always just for a joke, right? Right. Like, it's it, like the rapture it, happened in 2024. Or right. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 problem with that level of writing is you actually have to do at least twice as much work, and that's why some things work so well, right? Why Galactic Pot Healer is such a good book is because it had a pre-book that was at Silmarillion. Why Lord of the Rings is such a good book is because it had The Hobbit and The Silmarillion to to draw upon and make it deep. Star Trek doesn't have yes. that. Series are really good for that, aren't they, Jesse? Well, it's interesting because, <laughs> because if you look at those those first two examples... Right, neither of them are series. Right, The Hobbit is followed by Lord of the Rings, but it's not a series. I mean, they are in in series, but it's not a series. Both stand alone. Um, and the Silmarillion, you don't even want to read. Right, it's just there as a background. The the uh, Galactic Pod Healer and what's the um, the kid version? Nick and the Glimmung. Right, mm. Nick and the Glimmung didn't even get published until uh, the 80s, I think. Well, well, let's circle this back around to Heimline. You know, we've talked yeah. about like the richness of the Heimline verse here. Like, mm. you know, it's not quite a series, but you've got um, sure. this How like high. You've got the Heimline shared universe. Yes, he called it the future history. Yeah. And, like, several other science fiction authors were doing that before, like, series became a thing. Absolutely, yeah. So series like, is more marketing than it is, uh, uh, you know, customer-based demand. It's easy, it's easy, simple marketing, I think. It's like, it's a way to bring back uh, somebody who bought, you know, you, you, it's why movies do it, too, right? What, what, isn't there a Fast and Furious 9 out right now? The show started that that series started off as um, basically uh, it was um, FBI infiltrates a uh, street racer organization for reasons, and now they're like James Bond with cars, right? They're all yeah. Special. The CIA has them doing all the special missions, right? Right, and there's a spinoff series that you know it it's. <laughs> Well, the, the Silmarillion there is really deep, though, so people get really into it because there's just a lot of lore about Fast and the Furious. So, like, 
Uh, my friends who are into Fast and the Furious, they watch it and they're like, oh, well, you got to keep in mind all of these other things that have happened in the series. Oh no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm just I, I'm kind of just uh, I'm kind of being the devil to you on purpose. Uh, but uh, oh, it's helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to uh, uh, there's something to these series. I don't know. Um, but uh, I think you're also right about uh, the. Uh, the outgrowth of the modern series being kind of um, there's a like, can't a book just be a book? Yeah. Um, when, uh, when Luke Burridge does his podcast, every once in a while, he'll talk about how they watch like the Imp- impossible mission impossible series or they watch the whole of the marvel series or whatever that's the point of series is to make you go back and repurchase something you've purchased before make you go back and and the thing is is people want that right they want that comfort they want that connection but it's not challenging that's why whatever movie it is now uh fast and furious 9 whatever they're calling it now is Dribble <laughs> or Transformers three or four or whatever they're on now is dribble, right? So even if it happens to be a well done dribble, it's still dribble because it's it's more of the same. Like the, that particular dribble was a better instance <laughs> of the dribble than the previous dribble, right? We we know all the uh, tricks from the Mission Impossible movies. We know every uh, Marvel movie ends with a fight on a train. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, the same recipe as we got in uh, Speed, right? The first Speed movie starts with an elevator, then it goes to a bus, and then it f- ends on a train. I got it. <laughs> I don't need to see all the Marvel movies. Now I've got it. <laughs> and it went... The, the Fast and the Furious is a ripoff of um, of uh, a surf FBI movie. Uh, you know what I mean? Neo from The Matrix, who is about bank robbers robbing banks and surfing. And then the major actor infiltrates the bank robber group who he thinks are surfers. Turns out they are. What movie am I thinking of? Good question. That okay. sounds really good. Whatever it is, it is. A, it's a good movie. <laughs> um, it stars um, Patrick Swayze, uh, Swayze, and what's the Neo guy's name? Uh, you, you mean, yeah, Keanu. How could you forget Keanu Reeves' Point name? Break. <laughs> uh, very easily. <laughs> Point Break um, is the same. Point Break is the Alien uh, Two. Fast and the Furious, because it's the same story, except uh, one's about surfers and the other one's about car thieves. Cool. So, is there anything else on Heinlein? Yeah, we we should talk about what uh, what Heinlein we're going to do next, because I assume we should do another one. But I have multiple challenging options for you. <laughs> okay, so I could I could do without another like uh, juvenile. Yeah, do one of, yeah. do one of the later ones. Well, 
the most challenging one the later ones are are kind of wild and and they are kind of wild um and there are a number of them good and i and i want to read them well uh, yeah but i don't think we want to (laughs) pretty goddamn challenging what what about a nice calm um, sail beyond the sunset that looks good Of course, you think it's good. <laughs> what am I okay, missing I here? Um, it's just, it's, it's, I think the only one of his I haven't read um, because he was getting really weird at the end and the editors were not um, giving him any discipline. Um, Evan, yeah, I just, I just read the Wikipedia on this. Maureen's adventures include a series of sexual encounters beginning in childhood wherein... Having just had her first sexual intercourse, she's examined by her father, a doctor, and finds herself desiring him sexually. <laughs> her story that encompasses various ways her husband ministers and other women's husbands, boyfriends, swinging sessions, and the adult Lazarus Long, some character. Yeah, this is why Evan needs to read this for this the series he's going to do for his show, and Misa doesn't want to read it um, right now. <laughs> How about yeah, this? I, a I nice definitely con- don't want to read that. Like, <laughs> a nice I, I do con- have a copy of The Cat Who Walks Through Walls. That's a good and book. I'll be back. I'll be back to America so I can pick it up. Okay. And then um uh the one I was thinking now is the probably the most hated currently. Um Heinlein book is Farnham's Freehold. And why is it hated? Uh, I, I, why is it hated? Well, um let me read the back of the book for you. Um, as terrifying as On the Beach, uh, fascinating as Swiss Family Robinson, this is a modern SF classic of catastrophe and survival. It is the story of a man and his family who turned a nuclear disaster into a chance to start the world all over again the right way this time. So, uh, family goes into their nuclear bunker uh, during a nuclear war. Um, they think that they've survived the apocalypse, um, but actually they've been transported, a nuke landed right on top of them, and they've been transported into an alternate universe where, um, and this is where Will starts to get angry or excited, I'm not sure, (laughs) where um, blacks have taken over the United States, and it's a future, in fact, maybe, of the Earth, we're not sure, future Earth, something like that. And they are uh, enslaving whites, and um, uh, uppity whites get castrated. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, this seems like uh, this seems like a book that tells us something about Robert Heinlein. You know what I mean? Uh, and the United States. Um, so, it, it, I'll read the um, uh, Wikipedia plot summary. Hugh Farnham, a white middle-aged man, holds a bridge club party for his alcoholic wife, Grace, law graduate son, Duke, college student daughter, Karen, and Karen's friend, Barbara. During the bridge game, Duke berates Hugh for frightening Grace by preparing for a possible Soviet nuclear attack. When the attack actually occurs, the group, along with Joe and his family's African-American servant, retreat to the fallout shelter beneath the house. After several distant nuclear explosions rock the shelter, Hugh and Barbara become sexually intimate. After which, 
And there, Evan's excited now. After which, the largest explosion of all hits the shelter. With only minor injuries, but with their bottled oxygen running low, the group decides to ensure that they will be able to leave the shelter when necessary. After exiting through an emergency tunnel, they find themselves in a completely undamaged semi-tropical region, apparently uninhabited by humans or other sentient creatures. Several of the groups speculate that the final explosion somehow forced them into multi-dimension. And uh, so it is controversial. <laughs> I'm sure there are people who, who uh, don't like it. To, oh, here. This is this is the provenance for this book, Will. Charles Strauss has rhetorically asked whether, quote, anyone has a kind word to say for Farnham's freehold, and then described it as the result of a, quote, privileged white male from California, a n- notoriously exclusionary state trying to understand American racism in the pre-Martin Luther King era and getting it wrong for facepalm values of wrong. So wrong, he wasn't even on the right map, but at least he wasn't ignoring it. Uh, the New Republic says, Heinlein's desire to, quote, show the evils of ethnic oppression, unquote, states that in the process, Heinlein, quote, resurrected some of the most horrific racial stereotypes imaginable, unquote, ultimately producing, quote, an anti-racist novel only a Klansman could love. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, I don't remember loving it. I'm not a Klansman, but I did read it, and I, I, I appreciated that I was trying. I, I like the sentence, I appreciated that Heinlein was trying. I think that's the... Isn't that what Charles Strauss said about him also? Uh, well... He, yes. he, he, yeah, like, like the, 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 this was the best you could say for it, is that yes. Heinlein is trying. So... Uh, you know, one of the one of the arguments I think is really important is um, I read the modern Conan comics. I've talked about these with you, I think, a little bit, Will. Yeah, they um, make you so upset. They do make me upset because uh, a number of reasons. One one of them is, like, stupid. It's, like, basically they heard Conan was a pirate, so they put uh, gun ports on the side of his pirate ship. <laughs> Even though there's no, uh, you know, gunpowder in Hyborian Age. So I think that's stupid, but that's that's minor. What really bugs me is they don't when they do um, sequences uh, based around the character of Billet or Bellet, um, who has a black crew. They usually try to make them not black, and the reason they're doing that is because they they don't like the idea of thinking about black people and white people or black people and Jewish people on the same boat is my thinking. They're basically fearful and fearful of being racist. Robert E. Howard was not fearful of being racist. He was racist. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I like well, that sentence. Robert E. Howard was not fearful of being racist. No, he was totally racist, right? <laughs> But the thing is, is he represent he had characters who were black in his stories, like them or love them. He had them in there. A lot of people today are so afraid of the idea of people of other skin colors or races, as they want to call them, that they will try to avoid the subject, even when that's the subject they're asking, you know, asking us to read about. 
So what well, I you, like, you hire a racism consultant to read your book first, Jesse. Indeed, right? That's a whole. <laughs> what are they, they're called? Well, trigger, sensitivity sensitivity sens- readers. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. Although I, there's like sensitivity readers. That's like some guy I know, and then there's sensitivity readers. Some like person I'm like charge who's like charging me tens of thousands of dollars to read my book. No, to tell me that I'm not racist when I wrote sell, sell you <laughs> selling you racial indulgences. That's right. It, it's very well put. Well, so um, what I, you know, if I was reading about a Soviet, if I was reading a Soviet author, I don't think I'd be reading so much about black people and racism in the United States, because although they had black people in the Soviet Union, uh, it was not treat. It was not sort of central to the dialogue of the mid 20th century in in Soviet Union. They had other things going on. I'd be reading about that. This book that we just read, how many of the characters were colored? I don't know. We know that two of them have red hair. <laughs> Other than that, I can't I can't say what old Charlie's uh, race was if he had one, or the people of Mars. Right? He's not really focused on that. But when there was the Icelandic does guy. Add that, yeah, there's the uh, there's the Icelandic guy indeed. Uh, see, that was a really nice scene, right? I thought that that was like uh, the Ferengis uh, showing their their true uh, feelings for their fellow humans or fellow Ferengis or whatever. Hmm. Uh, that was beautiful, beautiful. Yes. Um, but my point is, is Heinlein doesn't ignore it. He might get it wrong. It might feel awkward, but he doesn't ignore it, which is what so many people did. So many and so many fucking cowards do. So is Charles Strauss' uh, assessment um, correct? Let's read it again. A privileged white male from California, I guess, a, no, a notoriously exclusionary state, uh, California. Okay. Trying. I, I think it's like like the thing is all of the states are notoriously exclusionary. So it's yeah, like I think it's a little less exclusionary than some, right? Well, I think they have their own, like, I don't, I'm not an expert on California, but I think they have their own, like, California issues that are, like, you know, like. Right? It's not, it's not, it's a little, anyways. Notoriously exclusionary, trying to understand American racism. That's a good thing. In the pre-Martin Luther King era. Okay. And getting it wrong for face bomb values of wrong. So wrong, he wasn't even on the right map, but at least he wasn't ignoring it. So the I would go right back to the beginning. A privileged white male from California. That's his read on what Heinlein is. He's saying he doesn't have the goods to write about this because he's a privileged white male from California. If he had been an underprivileged white male from uh, Missouri, which is what he was, or semi-privileged, actually it was semi-privileged, he tried, I think... Maybe he was privileged. He he uh he got his appointment to Annapolis through a uh, senator. I think his uh, yeah, I think that's yeah, that. that's like that's like a like I think that counts as like privileged. Although yeah, I don't I think... like privileged is like it's not really a the problem with privilege discourse is it's not really like clear what privilege is, right? Check <laughs> like, your privilege. I got to check. What's my privilege level? You you own a house. Uh, an apartment. <laughs> yes, I yeah. do. Um, 
Yeah, you, uh, yeah, you, you, you have, have a really old car. Year old car, man. Um, yeah, that's, uh, you have, uh, yeah, so I think you're a property owner, uh, although, like, meager property. I'm of the property class, my friend. I wouldn't call it meager over there where he lives. No, it's pretty expensive, but that, that everything is. Yeah. The important part is, this is a challenging book. That's why I would recommend it. As How opposed- long is it? Um, I've got a copy of it right here. It's a slim volume. Uh, it's a little longer than uh, Red Planet. Let's see if it says. Um, no, it doesn't say. I'm gonna have to open up my copy. <laughs> I'm taking it out of the plastic, Misa. Whoa! It's gonna immediately crumble. Yeah. yeah. It's 320 pages. Including, uh, oh, chapter 23. Wow, right to the last page. It's 320 pages. So that's probably nine, ten hours, I guess. And you might nope, nope, nope right out of it. Because you're pretty sensitive, my son. I may just nope, nope, nope right out of it, yeah. Well, which means that (laughs) there's a door. But I, 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 one nice thing about a challenging book is it makes you think about why. It's well, you know what? I nope, nope, nope right out of that hell sink. I read it. I read all of it. And then I said no. So well, I don't just know for no reason. Yeah. No. Yeah, I hate you, it. But I did you read know it. Of it. Huh? Because that show's going to come out tonight. Oh, good. Uh, I want to hear it tomorrow. I want to hear what you think of uh, what your thoughts were as to. What was no because there's a rape scene, uh, marital rape scene in the book. Mm-hmm. We talked a bit about that. Yeah, okay. I'll listen. I'll listen <laughs> we didn't like, pour over and say, oh, it was wonderful. It was more like, why is it the way it is? Why is it in there? And how to how to understand, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Were you in that one, Will? I, I just. I think I was remember. going to be, but then I wasn't on it for some reason. Um, I don't know if it was like during my time away or what the it was before that I mean, okay yeah i think i just like missed it for some reason because i have the audiobook in my um in it's my funny. drive but i don't i what well, definitely wasn't on that one it's a funny book very uh i mean it's got some yeah what you've described just sounds hilarious <laughs> 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 um <laughs> yeah i mean yeah <laughs> all right uh so farnham's freehold is my uh my um scary scary off book i would go with uh you know if you want to go with something a little lighter uh red planet yeah i might uh, want something now, I might... the argument i can make in, in favor i can make in red planet's favor is there's a cartoon adaptation it's pretty good. Uh, it was done by Fox Kids in the nineties. Oh, I saw that as a kid. That make oh yeah yeah. Let's do it. Wow. All right. Yeah, what so, a, what um, a resounding endorsement there. It's a good because it was so weird. Like it was so weird, and I was just like, because uh, it's like, like, like I have this memory of the Heimlein Martians from childhood that mm-hmm. like is just kind of vague, and I like maybe really? missed an episode of it. Yeah yeah. Um. So, it taped it when it was airing. I was like, holy fuck! Because I was watching X-Men uh, comic at the time. Uh, not comic. Uh, X-Men cartoon at the time, which was really good. Fox yeah. Kids 
X-Men. I've been rewatching that recently. It's like, uh, I mean, animation is not, as... not great, but the stories are good. They're ripped right from the from the magazine of the comics. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, it's got six point nine out of ten on IMDb. Um, the only real problem with that series, other than uh, changing Willis, who's who's their version of a flat cat, into a less of a ball. Uh, baseball or beach ball is um they changed the fucking planet to not being mars they make it uh some other what's another name for mars aries yeah they just put it in another solar system because mars isn't like that i guess which is stupid they just should have kept it the same in the cartoon you mean yeah why change it to from aries uh from mars to aries copyright maybe somebody's a copyright on mars (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah. it's, no, it's because they think, oh, it's not scientifically accurate. Like the show is supposed to be scientifically accurate. <laughs> Come on. Um, well, so I, it says it's rights for a, a, a like a, a five or six year old cartoon, and they've got a science advisor on it, and they want to make sure every single thing that they say to these kids is scientifically accurate. Nothing oh. gets passed. They care about the children. They care about the oh, children. Maybe. maybe. Uh, it's three half hour <laughs> episodes, so it's 90 minutes, right? Um, and it's it's definitely good. Are you up for this, Evan? It's a little less controversial yeah, sure. than Farnham's Freehold. <laughs> we have I'm to work our sure. way up to the one that we walk out on and you do it alone. Uh, if, if that wasn't enough for you, Evan, here's how I would have sold it to you. Inside the house, everybody's a nudist. <laughs> That's good. I, yeah. I still I still want to sail beyond the sunset. Uh, I'll read someday, someday. You know. Someday. Yeah. It, it, when I'm running out of better island. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm sure that's not his masterpiece. I'm pretty sure it's terrible cuz I read Number of the Beast and people said don't read past Number of the Beast and I, I read don't they said don't read Number of the Beast. I'm like I'm reading Number of the Beast and I'm like, "Oh my god." So it's good, but it's bad. It's bad. He's he's totally worth reading. Who's what's right. what's Heinlein's masterpiece according to Jesse? Mm, that's a hard question. I mean, Moon is a Harsh Mistress is pretty goddamn awesome. I but, still, at next. I still haven't read Starship Troopers. I just read it's that actually. Totally readable. So. Really great book. I really like it. I I sent it to my my nephew, but I haven't actually read it. And then I read it later. It's so good. It's, it's good. really. I mean, it's argue arguably his best as well. But what were you saying, Mason? You wanted to do. Well, what I'm going to read Moon as a Harsh Mistress starting tonight. Are you? Oh yes. wow! Because oh, it's a good one. Read, you just read um the uh Andy Weir book. That's what I just got finished into it, the right? Andy Weir book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I can send you the audiobook for that if you'd like. The one I just read? No, the one you are about to read. Are you oh, going to read it in paper? I, I have the paper, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think I'm just going to read it. Yeah, it's totally readable. You will totally enjoy it. Excellent. There's also some stuff where you go, mm, not so into this. But mostly <laughs> it'll be like, oh, Mike the computer, I love him or her. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I like the computer a lot. Yeah, computer's great. And then even the Manny, the guy with one missing manual hand, <laughs> uh, he's good. 
and there's a bunch of ladies running around. And what are those hats called for the French Revolution hats? Slouch hats? I don't know. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. remember what the hats are called, but the like, um, it's like a is yeah. I just thought that was a really fun book. I really enjoyed it. It's um, a it's a revolution book. Of course, you enjoyed it. Yeah, I read it in like yeah, I read that book like I think I read that book in like 2012 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Dot end of the world. I might as well read. Moon is a harsh mistress. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking I'd read Stranger in a Strange Land. Might as well read uh, Moon is a harsh mistress. Phrygian cap is what I was thinking of. Uh, Liberty cap, a soft conical cap yeah. with an apex bent over to associ- associated with antiquity nice. and uh, and the French Revolution. Marianne, the symbol of France, wears one. It it looks really goofy. They wear it in the book. Super goofy. Yeah, but I thought that was a really good book. Um, um, I like. I don't remember. Uh, I no longer remember how I felt about Stranger as a Strange Land when I was reading it. Um, no, it's not as good as. It's it. It I is it when important. I read it. It's awesome. important. It's important, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, God damn, fucking sitting around the pool arguing with lawyers is not my idea of exciting science fiction. It's too, too much of that. But I, I agree that there's, it's important, but it's not, it's not his best book at all. Is it his uh, most famous? Yeah, because it, it has sort of some. Yeah, it's arguable. I mean, it depends on when we're talking about, right? Today, probably Starship Troopers, because they want to call him a fascist. But if we're talking about, uh, you know, in the 70s or the 60s, I guess it wouldn't be the 60s, in the 80s, it would probably be Stranger. So, uh, when do we want to schedule, I was going to say Farnham's Freehold. (laughs) I know you were I know that's what you were saying. <laughs> Red Planet plus the cartoon. Yeah, plus, plus the, the cartoon. cartoon. Uh, which I have, by the way. I believe it's on YouTube, but I, I'm pretty sure I downloaded it to make sure I would have a. Oh, I had a VHS copy. That's probably what I ripped. Um, so the next open slot is uh, August 8th. That's fine with me. I haven't planned my life that far in advance, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> now you can. <laughs> yeah, I uh yeah. Good? Um, you can put me down. I don't know. I my my return to Taiwan's open ended. Might interfere with that. But otherwise I can do it. Bill Evan. I, I assume that's a yes. Paul. That's it. Oh for Paul. Where's Paul? Um he's at a convention. Uh, uh, online convention, Discord convention. Which tells he you where re- his priorities are. <laughs> he represents the reader's perspective, right? Because he's like, all of his friends are authors, but he's read all of their books. I guess. Yeah, I think he a, said something like that. That they I think wanted I heard him, him on say a, something. Yeah. 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 Um, I I don't understand. Like, it's like impressive to me how many books Paul has read. Like, me too. Crazy. No, he reads all of the modern books. It's crazy. Yeah. 
and he's and like, he's thinking about politics all day long. How does he get through it all? Yeah, I don't know. It's like he Red reminds policy. me of these dudes that I like know at the comic book store who like just like they must spend their entire paycheck on comic books, like, and they just like read them all. Um, it's like. But, like, what Paul has, like, Paul's is even more impressive to me because he's, like, he's spending all of his time doing this. And I I find it amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's got other hobbies, too, right? He's gaming. Game, yeah. And, Take, uh, t- uh, taking pictures. Yeah. 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 And, and uh, you know, being torn in half by the political discourse, like, truly. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, and he has a job also, which is you know, you know. full time job no less. I guess he doesn't yeah. sleep. Yeah, maybe that's his secret. Mm-hmm. And he cooks. He cooks for himself. So this is um, it is truly amazing. But yeah, uh, keep uh, honestly reviewing stuff. Like I didn't do it professionally. I just did it for my blog. Um. It's a burnout. It, it burns you out after a while. I don't know how he keeps up with it. What um? What's the what podcast is next week? Oh, um, revival. Uh, okay. Oh, yummy. <laughs> yummy. <laughs> yummy. <laughs> I love this novel. Yeah, suggested by Evan, and I've not read it, so it's going to be interesting. Um, Will is. What'd you say? You're a question mark on that one. I think that I'm gonna not be there because I yeah. like I'm gonna be actually moving that very day. So uh, well, yeah, take you off then. It sounds like you're really not available. Yeah, not yeah. Sem- All right. Yeah. Uh, then the next be there. You're, uh, what, what, did you say you're not gonna be there, Evan? I want to say who's gonna be here. Oh, uh, uh, Marissa, Jesse, Paul, Evan, Evan Paul. Marissa. All right. And no then. Yeah, no question mark. Um, the wonderful advent, unless uh, Lisa wants to join. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, the wonderful adventure of Fra the Phoenician you're on for, Misa. Yeah, uh-huh. and I'm, I I want to do that one because I missed um, the other book by that guy. Lynn Lester. Yeah, because I, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like sick when we all were doing Gulliver. So I want to do Fra because of mars that was such a good book that book needs to be more attention so good so interesting and like so it sounds like that like i don't know i should just wait and listen to that podcast when it comes out to like ask you questions about it um because like i've always heard people mention it but i don't know if the people who mentioned it ever actually read the book Mm. uh so well having read it i can tell you it's definitely worth reading and it's probably not inspiration for uh, Red... Uh, for John Carter of Mars. For Carter. Princess John of Carter. Mars. Mars, yeah. Probably not, because even though it's the same story, uh, what he's doing is some sort of amazing satire. And that's not what Edgar Rice Burroughs is doing at all. No, Edgar Rice Burroughs is like trying to like sell you something like hot blooded. Yeah, no, he's passionate, and whereas this other one is, it, it's 
farcical, but also oh, just it's really thoughtful, really interesting. It's much more like H.G. Wells. Very interesting. Very. I, I, it's one I would want to reread at some point. I can't imagine saying that, but there I am. Wow. It's interesting. I can't even. I forget everything so fast. I'm like, oh my yeah, god, what happened? Yeah, what, what you have to remember is like, remember when he goes to the, goes down the river and he's in a, a icebergs full of dead people. Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. It was really good. Yeah, really good. Will and, read. It. And you know, he he falls out of the sky and lands on a <laughs> a lady who's giving a lecture about time travel or something. Yeah. All right. Of course. It's not time travel, though. It's physics, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was Arabian Nights. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and it's got a magic carpet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, funny. I'm glad it was good. I uh, Did you uh, recommend it, Will? Was that from you? Yeah, it was my recommendation. And yeah. I, uh, yeah, I wasn't able to do it. Well, but, we, uh, we have the comics, and they're nothing like the the, the uh, book. So, yeah, you should read that in in your spare time while lifting heavy boxes. Right. What well, yeah. you can read it to all the kittens under your deck and the, and the can... headless squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> headless squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. gotta eat. They gotta eat that squirrel so that I don't have to deal with it. I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna have to deal with that squirrel eventually. But perhaps uh, um, will get to it. I'll yeah. I mean, they have sharp teeth. Certainly, certainly, their like mom can show them how to like dismember the squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's what I'm talking. Family values. <laughs> family, family value. It like, yeah. It was really. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm excited about the kittens, but uh, I'm worried about us getting rid of them because there's a lot of them. Um, so I don't know how we're gonna do that. Um, lots of kittens. Well, I mean, they generally get eaten by other predators. Coyotes. Coyotes, yeah. That's that's what would would have been that would have been the fate of mine had I not taken them. They would have been eaten by coyotes. See that this is why Earth is hell, and we're like, uh, you know, life on Earth is literally hell, right? Pain. You're born into a world of pain and death and horror, disease, and we're like, well, we're, we're trying to not do it all the time. <laughs> and the vegans are like. Yeah, we shouldn't do it at all. And I'm like, yeah, but, you, you know, if you have any kids. And then like, yeah, I'm not going to have any kids. I'm three genders and not having any kids. And I'm like, yep. And then we'll be as moral as Mars one day. And I'm like, yep, that's probably right. Moral's the moon. There's no pain on the moon. So we're really born on the planet of hell. It's horrible. And beautiful. Yeah, yeah, no, there's nice, nice moments, but you you gotta, you know, that that cute little puppy has nine dead siblings. Yeah. Right. Horrible. That cute cat destroyed that cute squirrel and decapitated it. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's right. And it did, and it did so, uh, and brought it home for its loving, loving of its kids. Horrible, wonderful, almost mm-hmm. like horrible. Yeah, at the same time, the the circle of life. Um, Speaking of which, I, I, I know. Did you say something like that in that book we just read? I think so. 
Yeah. Something about a suckling pig, or I don't remember. Something. Oh, yeah, yeah, the luxury. It, it's not a luxury for the suckling pig. <laughs> <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. How you doing? I'm okay. I am. Um, got a lot of a lot of stuff going on in my life. Yeah. You got to get your stuff? headphones on, though. I'm getting the echo uh, from you. Well, I gotta leave China, and I, my plans to go to Taiwan changed because of my mom's health. Oh. So I changed my ticket to go to America, and then a few days later, my mom died. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. And now I gotta deal with that. And oh. Just trying I'm to sorry, get buddy. Affairs resolved here in China. Are you leaving for good then? Well, for China, I'll be back to Taiwan eventually, but that's, my ticket is one way, so I don't know when I'm going back to Taiwan. Hmm. Stick around for a while. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing us down, Evan. <laughs> oh my god. Jesse has terrible sense of taste. Um, <laughs> glad uh, we got you, Will, though. You were not scheduled for this, but I sent it to you anyways. Yeah, I figured I might as well, because I don't... Well, actually, I do have a lot of stuff going on, but... Um, well, I'm moving right now. You got a cat going on. Yeah, I have... Uh, so, I think we're yeah, dealing with, like... Eight feral cats. Oh shit! Is is the because there's the mother and there's seven kittens. Are um, they flat? Wait, save it for the podcast, Jesse. God uh, damn it, the podcast, Jesse. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, uh, this morning we went over there to to check on the ca- the cats are at the place that we're moving into, so mm. we went over there to check on them this morning and. Uh, you know, Meg looked under the deck of where they were hanging out, and she was like, "So, how much nature can you handle this morning?" And I was like, "Oh, oh no. well, I can, I can handle some." And uh, so the cats are now uh, in a space with a decapitated squirrel that you know, the mother has provided them. Nice. Um, and Meg's just like she expects the. I think she like thinks that cats just eat cat food or something. Wow. Um, uh, and it's like, no, I'm sure that the mother has been, like, stalking and killing, like, small animals for, like, you know, as long as these animals have been alive uh, to, like, provide for them in ways. Um, but uh, it was just, like, it's a great scene. All these, like, you know, beautiful little rapscallions, like, playing around. And then there's, I mean, we were worried that the, the squirrel was at first one of the kittens that was, like, had, like, died or something. Wow. But it was, like very clearly a squirrel so that was fine um i'm just hoping they eat enough of it that it doesn't like you know start to rot under our deck or whatever <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um so we might have to deal with There's that problem sometime sometime soon um but uh two of the cats are letting us touch them or rather the mother and two of the kittens are letting us touch them and the other ones are like still like staying away mm. and 
we're gonna like trap them in a, a trap and take them to get fixed. That's a good idea. Wow. We don't want a lot of flat cats. No. No. Um, but you're gonna get a lot more cats if you're feeding them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's so you're, um, you're gonna have to sterilize the entire state. oh my god yeah so that's um so that was where we were so yeah we've we've got that going on and i just have to like i don't know i'm like as i speak to you right now i'm just looking over like my comic book collection and several boxes of like books and old magazines like that i've just like surrounded myself in and i'm just like do i really need all this stuff what have i done um (laughs) Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, we have a, have an exciting week ahead of us moving boxes from this house to the next house. And, uh, then we have movers coming next Sunday to, uh, carry the heavy things. You definitely want to have some comics around. Many loads to the, the, to the trash lately. Oh no. My solidarity. Yeah. 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 I got, I, I collected all these really nice AP textbooks for my daughter's future because she's being sort of homeschooled and it's I just couldn't I couldn't justify the price of shipping and carrying them around bringing them back yeah, yeah. Tough. all those out bunch of clothes I'm gonna miss because I don't buy clothes very often like uh, every seven eight years just wear them all on the plane <laughs> Layers? You, I guess I could get away with six, that. Six cool layers thing. of shirts and four layers of pants. <laughs> Three layers of gloves. <laughs> and no mask. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that. Oh yeah, 30 hours with a mask on, on oh, airplanes. That's going to suck. Oh god. Yeah, like, your airplane's going flights, the wrong way. All the flights are indirect. The international flights are all indirect because a lot of the direct flights have been shut down. So I got to go to. F- Paris via Korea. It's like a one-hour pickup stop in Korea. Same airplane though, and and then Atlanta, then Green Bay. Mm. All all told, thirty some hours. Too long. Oof. It's gonna be night. I I I think I've been on a plane for like twenty hours, and that was too much. Oh God, thirty. I'm used to that. I, I've I've done the like. Where you, it's like 12 hours from Chicago to Korea, and then you have to stay overnight in Korea at the airport. I've done that plenty of times. Not, not, not my favorite thing. It's easier just to stay home. <laughs> stay home, count your chickens uh, <laughs> while they're hatching. Count your eggs. Yeah. Count your Heinlein paperbacks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have multiple copies of some of them. Um, you know, Red Planet, I got multiple copies of, which I'm thinking we need to discuss, uh, future Heinleinian plans. But maybe we should do that after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, do we have any old business that needs to be talked about? Any, uh, hot tweets that I missed? <laughs> <laughs> aren't, aren't you supposed Salty. to be starting a fight with somebody or I'm something? I'm trying to. Like, Come on. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Um, it's, it's easier for you to fight someone when Paul is here. Yeah. Paul's, Paul's makes, makes it very easy. Cause I was just listening to our show, um, 
on Sin Cats and Honey, no, uh, Sin Hellcat, um, <laughs> which was, uh, a, uh, sex book by Donald Westlake and Lawrence Block. And I think, uh, I guess like the whole, I don't know, 40, last 40 minutes is, is Paul being upset about Aurora, <laughs> the novel by Kim Stanley Robinson. And I'm saying, <laughs> oh, I remember that. Eat the yeah. pain, Paul. Eat the pain. Take it in. <laughs> make it part of you. <laughs> sort of. Make, make the pain part. Um, Not really. I'm yeah. saying that, you know, the reason you don't well, like it is because he's. Now, because it's pretty clear that like, space is going to be like tourism for rich people, at least for mm. quite a while. Not going to be going to Mars. Yeah. Rich people spend millions of dollars to spend five minutes. It's a, a little too close to this book. Maybe we should. Uh, how about this one? I sent um, uh, a, a tweet. I bet my son doesn't know what's going on. Uh, to you and uh, Will um, with uh, it's like a photoshopped image of of somebody standing over somebody's grave. Um, and, uh, the grave is marked TYT and it has Anna Kasparian and, um, Cenk Uger on the grave. And then Jimmy Dore is standing over the grave, you know, making a smiley face. <laughs> you need a peace symbol. Do you guys follow this? a friend who cares about the Young Turks. Well, Misa uh, like... cares about um, Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore. Yeah, yeah. I like him. Yeah. But I didn't understand the tweet. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think you would. That's why I'm kind of interested. It's really interesting. You, you, you all haven't been following this, right? No. You, you've you been trying to send me tweets about it. I'm not really that it. interested. Oh, well, it's very interesting. Any of those people you mentioned, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in. Yeah, I understand. I understand. Well, there's reason to be interested and not to be interested, but the meta interestingness. Like the Young Turks in particular. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Young Turks, uh, they're like a really old YouTube channel. Um, and they're. Were uh, they like a podcast before that? No, no, they started as a YouTube channel. Uh, one of the very first ones, it's. Uh, Cenk Uger used to be an MSNBC host, um, and he used to be a Republican and used to be a whole bunch of things. And, um, so he started this channel called the Young Turks and, uh, you know, he didn't believe in the Armenian genocide <laughs> at one point. Um, but it's okay because Anna Kasparian is Armenian and she, she joined the Young Turks and... <laughs> And then they started, you know, doing uh, online news, which mostly consisted of, you know, watching other people report the news and then giving their opinions about it. But also included Isn't that what the news is. You know, often, yes. But then also included, um, you know, like uh, slut shaming women getting out of cars whose pussies are exposed. You know, um, fat shaming. <laughs> And that sort of, like, it was basically, um, just online entertainment rather than a news channel. But then they got, uh, I don't know, about four years ago, they got, um, uh, a 20, $20 million injection from a billionaire. And, uh, suddenly, uh, they're reporting of, uh, you know, on Democrats sort of went away. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all Trump hate, Trump hate. And then they attacked recently. They attacked, um, it's a crazy video. Uh, Aaron Matei, who's a, a real journalist who, uh, works for the gray zone and other, other places. 
he uh he did some reporting on the um Duma chemical attack that wasn't really one that was basically it was the white helmets um staging a chemical attack so that uh US would have an excuse to bomb Syria which actually happened right they did bomb Syria over this incident um and the uh something called the OPCW which is the organization for the prevention of uh, spread of chemical weapons um did a report um saying that it didn't happen uh but that report was redacted and changed by people who didn't go to that place Syria um but this information got leaked and Aaron Mate was the one who did the story on it right so they they attacked uh him in a crazy video and um <laughs> it's turned into a ratings nightmare for them because they have like 5 million subscribers on YouTube that's a lot right yeah um and their live stream i was watching the count on it was getting like 194 viewers um oh, after wow. after after this sort of crazy it, it all started like uh late last year with um forced the vote on uh, medicare for all and they were on the wrong side of that because they're you know wanting more millions from the <laughs> billionaire or whatever and uh, and their ratings of like not ratings the you know viewership is like disappeared and and it, there's so that's what's going on in that image and uh it's a it's a really interesting thing because th- they're trying to dig their way out of it but they're just digging deeper and every time like they they sent you probably didn't see it Mike they sent uh Jimmy Dore a direct message um that was basically saying you're going to pay for this asshole um I got the goods <laughs> on you and so what did Jimmy Dore do he showed the tweet and then he showed the the previous direct message which is loving what you're doing right now and that was like from 2016 <laughs> in any oh, case it, it it turned into like uh you know he's he's sex shaming me or whatever it is for wearing low low cut pants and you had to apologize you're a sex sex guy and uh he explained it and it you know it was like pretty in, relatively innocuous but there it's like it's like oh, divide divide the left sort of situation but really it's not it's not about left or right it's basically about as most things it's about principle or no principle do you like believe in the truth or do you just want to pick a team so it's it's not of interest unless you are following uh uh you know the inside of baseball of uh youtubers and stuff but it's it's dramatic and it's really funny because it's all happening in real time um you know it's a a big organization versus yeah a guy in his garage who used to be on that channel as a you know adjunct or whatever so that's that's what that that's what that picture explained. <laughs> but you need to have a Young Turks fan to like be on this conversation with you to say that you're being unfair, and like none of us are going to do that. For well, you. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There, uh, there aren't there there aren't very many of those. It's really funny. I was looking like I was going to see how many people were watching because they were saying the numbers were really low, and they were. And then I was looking at the comments and like. Uh, at least a, th- a third of them were there just for trolls. 
<laughs> just like the comments were just troll comments. And I was there not to watch it, just to see what the numbers were like. So I was adding to the 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 actual numbers of viewers, but it's very we're interesting. A passive troll. That's yeah, funny. I mean, I didn't actually comment on anything. I'm I mean, I'm trolling on, a, on this podcast. You're lurking. That's what Maddie calls me a lurker. Mm. I think most people do lurk, right? Most people don't comment. Yeah. Why would you? Do I need to get in the middle of this mess now? Nothing to say. Yeah. So that's what's going on up here. Misa, what's going on with you? How's your fringe happening? We we are like ninety nine percent there. Um we at my somebody one of the cast put um music on today and like totally raised the bar. Um I'm handing it in uh, on Wednesday. We have to hand it in a month in advance. Uh, wow. So it's yeah, so it's nearly done. I'm like, I'm barely awake, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but we're nearly done. I'm I'm happy. I'm happy with. You it. gotta get woke, Misa. <laughs> I know, but Jesse, you keep telling me I gotta I gotta get woke. I can't wake up. How can I be woke? I can't, can't wake up. How can I be woke? <laughs> well, we will rouse you. Make some coffee and waft it towards you. I don't know. All right. Who wants to do a book? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Here we go. Um, I have a recorder going. I believe you have one, Will, unless you've packed it up for I, your I'm new place. Oh, uh, yeah. My computer is I'll, – I'll have my computer out, I think, like, uh, starting once I get decked to the new place, but I just haven't, it's been unplugged for the past couple of months while I've been living different places. All right. I'll allow it. So I'm just on my phone. Yeah. Well, you better. Or, uh, what what are my options? Yeah. I, okay, I guess drive down there and off the podcast. drive down. I once when I was on the, 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 that other podcast. Which one? Uh, Stephen King. What was that? The day of Adagranoff? The Dickhead no, podcast? No, I did uh, Bangler. I forgot the name of the podcast. My mind's not where it is. Oh, the Elder Sign. Weird fiction Elder podcast. Sign. When when did you do that? I don't think I've done that. I, I, listened, to, um, I listened to at least one. Clay Temple Media. That's the one. They've got a bunch of podcasts. I, I'm not sure which ones I listen to, but there's some that... Our yeah, weird fiction. It's, 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 I think it's a subset of the Clay Temple Media mm-hmm. page. You know about that guy, right? Yeah. I listen, I listen to the weird fiction one, but they talk about, I think they have a Jack Vance one or something like that. Or maybe it's Gene Wolfe. Yeah. Anyways, I recorded that one, but I think I just used, uh, used Skype, but yeah, I've forgotten how to do it. Yeah. If you, uh, go into your Skype menu. Somewhere deep inside, uh, there's a button. It's not the end of the world. My my recorder's been working pretty good. I mean, I'll probably jinx it by saying that, but let me look. More settings and feedback. Yeah. Since I don't... Eric does it when we do uh, reading short and deep. Oh, start recording. There we go. I got it. So you got it? Okay. I think so, yeah. So you're recording on Skype and on your machine. Yeah. The problem wow. with the one on Skype is it's 
It fucking exports as a video, even if you have no video. So stupid. So stupid. <laughs> are, are you Yoda now? Yes. Actually, I, I like Grover you, more. I thought you were the Cookie Monster. <laughs> yeah, I, I like. Hello, Grover. <laughs> well, what's what's the one? Uh, what's the one who uh, Elmo? I. It's, uh, <laughs> that's the you do pretty good voices. I, you should do them more. I'm getting the better. I'm getting better. Apparently. All right. I, I mostly I just talk to the dogs that way. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's Mom's good practice. They... <laughs> do you All think right. dogs like the silly speech more? <laughs> or it's just like our like brain for dealing with children. They're out of space and time. They they are not. Like us, they're different. <laughs> they're not like us. Wow, you just opened a Pandora's box there. Well, <laughs> they're quite different. Okay. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine the mind of a chicken? I mean, I don't even want to go near a mind, the mind of a chicken. I just figure dogs are like, I feel like dogs' minds are like not so different than ours compared to like chickens' minds. Uh, there are to- there are parts of dogs' minds. That are not that different, but there's, you know, the majority of their sensory experience has got to be completely different. Yeah. Uh, should probably be taking mushrooms before we have this conversation, though. <laughs> or <laughs> marijuana or something. Because <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that it's that profitable. Okay. Well, we can, we can go back to Heinlein. Um... Yeah. All right. Consider so, the mind of a flat cat. <laughs> <laughs> Save it. <laughs> Wikipedia. What's this book called? Uh, Space Family Stone. That's right. Or the Rolling Stones. There it is. Tramp Spaceship. Tramp Spaceship. Here we go. Uh, Jesse. Um, Misa. Wow. No, it's not Evans. 